If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of Philippians. When I was in school, I mean, not little, you know, grade school, but later, I was taught that, do you know they teach you how to preach? I never thought much of that class. Well, you can probably tell from the way I preach, but... Uh, you know, it, uh, there's a whole course, a whole field of study called hermeneutics. And it's about how to preach. And they tell you, you got, uh, you know, you got an introduction and three points and a conclusion. And, and boy, am I going to blow that one out of the water today? Uh, because I'm not going to do much of an introduction. And I've got 15 points, but they're going to be quick. Fear not. They're going to be quick, but I, I just, as I was reading through the book of Philippians, I just saw some powerful things that, um, that are, are, that, that spoke to me as I read through this, things that I wanted to share with you. So I'm going to share with you today 15 things we can learn from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Is that okay? It doesn't matter if it's, if it's got 15 points instead of three, uh, but we're going to, we're going to move quickly. So if you want to write these down, you better be ready. And if you want to mark them in your Bible or read them in your Bible, you better have your Bible open because it won't take long. I can't take 15 minutes on each one or we'll be here a while. So we're going to move hastily. But these are very important things to illuminate, to turn the light on in the book of Philippians. Number one, we're going to look at a finished race. Paul is talking about in this passage, a finished race. Chapter one, verse six, everything's going to be in Philippians. So no need to look anywhere else. And when I say chapter one, verse six, that's obviously in Philippians. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's a message right there. Amen. How many of you sitting here today can lift your hand as a testimony and say that Jesus Christ has begun a work in me? Now, how many of you also understand that since he has begun a work in you, that he is going to complete that work in you? He's going to see you all the way through. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. He even himself promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Holy Spirit is given to live inside of us. We're never going to walk solo. He's always going to be with us. And what he began, he's going to finish. The question is not whether he's going to be with us and stay with us. The real question is, are we going to stay with him? Amen. He's going to complete what he began in us as long as we give him the opportunity to do that. But if we want to get obstinate and rebellious and go our own way, then then he can't do in us what he wants to do. He needs our cooperation working with him. Amen. Bible says we are laborers together with God. And some people want God to do it all for them and they're not willing to do anything for themselves. But the Bible says that he has begun a good work in us. And as long as we'll be faithful to him and follow him, be obedient to his word, he's going to complete in us what he began. Could you say amen? Amen. Number two, sincerity. 
That's another thing he talks about here that's worth talking about, I believe. Verse 10. He says, well, let's, let's read verse 9. And this I pray. So Paul is praying for us. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. How many believe we need more love? He also prays that you may approve the things that are excellent. Christians ought to be alert enough to know what's right and what's wrong and approve of those things that are excellent. And then he also prays that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. To be sincere. What does it mean to be sincere? The word sincere simply means genuine, pure, and true. Antonyms, or the opposite of that, is to be false, artificial, and untrue. And so Paul's prayer is that we, as Christians, in whom Jesus has begun a good work, and fully intends to complete that work in us, that we would be genuine Christians, pure Christians, and true Christians, not false, not artificial not hypocritical. Be sincere. The, the, um, the story is told that in the Latin language is where the word sincere comes from. And it is stated by some there that the word simply means without wax. And in, as you know, in, in history, in antiquity, they would often take a piece of rock, and they would carve out of that stone a bust or a face or an, from the waist up um, a, a statue of the leader. Can you imagine working on that whole thing and getting it just about where you want it, and then you're putting your finishing touches on it with your chisel and your hammer, and you go over to the nose to make just a little adjustment, and you go tap, tap, and the nose falls off. That would be disheartening, wouldn't it? Oh, but they found a way to fix that. They'd go take a little bit of wax and melt it and put it in there and put that nose back on and smooth it over and let it dry. And everything was fine now until the sun shined on it and the wax melted. And then you would find out it wasn't sincere at all. It wasn't pure. It wasn't what it was represented to be. There was a problem with it. Well, that's what the scripture is saying to us. We need to be sincere, genuine, pure, and true as Christians. If you believe that Christians... Should be pure, would you say amen? amen? Number three, sometimes good comes from our troubles. Now, Philippians is written at a time when Paul is in prison. Here's what he says in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is not in prison singing gloom, despair, and agony on me. No, he's not doing that at all. 
He is acknowledging the fact that sometimes things that happen in our lives can actually work to the good and profit and and accomplish a lot of things. The fact that he was in prison, the palace guards were listening to the message, other people were coming to Christ, and the gospel was being shared, the kingdom was increasing because he was in prison. Sometimes good things can happen even though we're going through difficult times. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Number four, live for Christ. Uh, That's simply stated that would be just behave. Verse 27 says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I was in school, you used to get a grade for conduct. Do you get a grade for conduct anymore, Beth? You still do? Boy, I'm going to tell you, that was the one that always got me in trouble. Well, no, I take that back. That wasn't the only one because the rest of them weren't, weren't stellar either. But it's the one that upset my mom and dad the most. Because I, can, I remember one time coming home with a C. A C is supposed to be average. I thought that was okay. So I come home with a C in conduct. My goodness, you'd have thought I'd have robbed a bank or something. C in conduct. You can do better than that. Well, conduct has to do with how we behave, right? And so this verse of scripture says only, that sounds like it's very important, doesn't it? Only let your conduct, let your behavior be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do you know Christians ought to behave? We, we, Henry Willis used to say when he would come to revival years ago, who knows? I might see if he'll come back. He's bound to be 85 now, but boy, he, he would love to come back. But when he was here, and he's just a happy guy, just full of the Lord. And, and oh, he just blesses your heart every time he speaks. And he was talking one night in a revival in this church, but in the other building. And he's talking about the joy of the Lord and, and, and wearing a smile and being happy in the Lord and not complaining and misbehaving and all those things. He looked at the congregation and said, some of you people are messing us up. You're messing us up. Put a smile on your face, he'd say. Well, that's the way he preaches. And, and that's this, this is talking about that very thing. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let it be consistent with the words that we say. If we say he gives joy and he gives peace and he's a good God, well then act like he's a good God. Amen. And also obey his word and do the things that his word teaches. So if you believe that Christians ought to have good conduct, would you say amen? amen. Number five, be humble. Be humble. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Emmanuel means what? God with us. And Jesus, the Son of God. Who was there in the beginning. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made, the Bible says. That third person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, came to this earth and took on flesh just like we have. You tell me that's not humbling yourself? And then furthermore, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But I got to tell you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if we will humble ourselves, the Lord will lift us up. James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the God and the sight of God and he will lift you up. 
Well, we read that in the very next verse. Therefore, concerning Jesus, who had humbled himself, even the death on the cross, therefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you that Jesus humbled himself. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to humble ourselves. There's no room for pride and arrogancy and, and not even, not even a shadow of that kind of thing in our lives. We're supposed to humble ourselves. And the Bible says if we'll do that, the Lord will lift us up. Number six. We're supposed to, concerning this gospel, we're supposed to live it out. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, a portion of that, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who's ever heard of that? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You could also say, live out your salvation. It's not just something that we do on Sunday when we go to church and then we forget about it the rest of the week. I'll tell you what, our salvation and biblical principles, the will of God and the words of Jesus will, will color, will affect everything we do throughout the week. All of our interactions with people, how we respond to people, when somebody whips right in a parking place at Walmart in front of you, the very spot you were headed for. Behave. Have good conduct like a Christian, right? See, this is more than just showing up at church on Sunday. This takes us through the week. We have to be careful what we do and how we live. So we're supposed to live it out. All these principles that we read about, all these scriptures that we have in our minds, we don't just repeat them. We don't just parrot them. We live them out. Amen? So work out that salvation in fear and trembling. It's a, it's an awesome, it's a, it's a thing that's so important. We need to take it seriously. And, We need to live it out because, which leads us to number seven, we need to shine. Do all things without complaining and disputing. What a verse. Maybe I need to read that again. Eddie, where are you? (laughs) Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among you, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He's talking to people that he loves. And he says, I want you to, I want you to live this thing out. Make it real in your life and how you live. Do it like Christ would do it. And by the way, shine as lights in the world. Did Jesus have anything to say about that? He said, let your light so shine before men. Jesus said, no man takes a light and puts it under a basket. In Luke, it is recorded in addition to that, this phrase. And no man takes a light and puts it under his bed. That's two strange places to put a light, isn't it? You take a light and put it under a basket. Especially thinking in those days the light wasn't a light bulb. It was a candle or a lantern and you put it under a basket. I'd say that was a recipe for disaster. 
You don't put your light under a basket and you don't put your light under the bed. Both of those would be foolish. And many have drawn this conclusion that putting your light under the basket has to do, the basket has to do with commerce and moving things and buying things and carrying things and doing things. Don't let your light be hidden by your busyness of life. Don't get so busy in life that you hide your light, who you are and what you are. And, as Luke would say, don't put it under a bed either. Don't let laziness, slothfulness, and sleepiness hide your light. Either one of those, if if your light is hidden, the end result is the same and it's bad. Nothing good about our light being hidden, is it? May I submit to you it's time for Christians to come out of the closet. My goodness, everybody else is coming out of the closet. And Christians, in a lot of cases, are still hiding. We're trying to blend in at work so nobody will ask us too many questions or point any accusing fingers. Blend. He didn't call us to blend in, did he? Jesus didn't call us to blend in. He called us to shine. And so, it's very important. Number seven, we're supposed to shine. Number eight is another good one. I think it's, um, it's worth bringing attention to. Chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. In the Lord. Be happy. Be glad. Rejoice. Praise Him. It's so important, in fact, that you look over in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's even more important than that because He says, again I will say, rejoice. And in verse 10 He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. It sounds like to me rejoicing is important to Paul. May I suggest to you that when we praise Him and when we rejoice and with when we worship and when we're glad and when we count our blessings and we bless his name, we have 10,000 reasons. When we do all of that, I want to tell you, it blesses the Lord and he's pleased anytime we do that. But I'll tell you what, it'll change your attitude. Will it not? When we begin to think about what God has done, an old song we used to sing, used to sing, used to sing at the old church, I remember this. When I think about his goodness and what he's done for me, when I think about his mercy and how he set me free, I could jump, 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 jump all night. Remember that song? And we used to have church when we sang that. Well, that's being, that's being, uh, in a spirit of rejoicing. You're thinking about how good God is and what he does in our hearts and lives. And then sometimes we think we've, We've stretched the limits if we lift a finger to the Lord in worship. I like what Eddie was doing. Oh, Eddie was getting with it a while ago, wasn't he? We were seeing count your many blessings. He's opening that mouth about that wide and singing out. Well, that's a good example for all of us. To rejoice in the Lord is so important. So important. Number nine, forget. You didn't think we'd make this much progress this fast, did you? Number nine, chapter three. Verses 12 through 14. Not that I had already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And then he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't laid my hands 
on the prize yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How many of you remember cassette tapes? I got a bunch of them at home. They used to make this little contraption that's about as big as uh, um, a cassette tape. The bottom of it is, and it's about this tall, and it's heavy, kind of like an iron. It's a demagnetizer. And you could take that cassette tape. We've done it many times. That's why we bought one. We do sermons on Sunday with cassette tape years ago. We bring those home, and we take those uh, that demagnetizer, and it goes, and when you listen to that tape, it was clean. There was nothing on it anymore. It was gone. May I share a secret with you all? Your mind is not like that. It's not. Paul said that this was a very important principle that we need to forget those things that are behind. But you can't forget those things that are behind. Now, just wait a minute. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Somebody does something horrible to you. And the harder you try to forget it, the better you remember it. Am I right? The word forget there doesn't mean forget in the sense that that we think, oh, it's gone. I don't ever remember it anymore. The word forget literally means to neglect. Big difference. Look it up in your Strong's Concordance. The word forget means to neglect. You can't forget those things. As a matter of fact, if, if we don't understand what that word really means, we got a real problem with the Apostle Paul because he said, forgetting those things which are behind, but all through the New Testament, he keeps reminding us of those things that he did years ago. Well, he wasn't forgetting his past. He used his past many times as a testimony for what was going on. So forgetting in that sense is not pushing it out of your mind to where you never remember it again. Here's what forget literally means. You, how many of you ladies cook on a stove sometimes it's got more than one burner? Front burners, back burners. You're working on the front burner. And when you get that finished, you take it off the front burner because you're it's done, it's ready. And you put it on a back burner perhaps to get it out of the way. And then you continue working with what's on the front burner. To forget in this sense means to take it off the front burner where it's occupying your attention and put it on the back burner out of the way where you can just ignore it and do other things. And that's what happens with us, folks. The Bible says forgetting those things that are behind. You got some things in your past you would not want shown on the screen today. I know it and you know it. I've got some things in my past I don't want shown on that screen today. Do I still remember them? Yes. Do you remember them? Yes, because you were nodding your head or in agreement with me. We do have things in our past we're not proud of. Forgetting those things doesn't mean that they're obliterated from our minds because you can't do our minds like a cassette tape. But what we can do is put those things in the past where they don't keep us from reaching forward to the future. 
A lot of people haven't learned that. They've been bound by their past. But pastor, you don't understand what I've done, how I've lived, how wicked I have been. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ can save and cleanse us and he puts our past behind us. We need to learn to do the same thing. Just this morning when I was reading through this again, I saw something that I don't think I had ever noticed before. And I'll show it to you and you're going to say, well, good grief, where have you been all these years? But it's the honest truth. Forgetting those things which are behind, we just talked about, and then reaching forward to those things which are ahead. How many of you know we need to be reaching forward? Amen. And then it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the what? The upward call. I had never noticed that. Press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help me out. Our Father, which art in? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees me going through my struggles. Amen? He sees you going through your struggles. He's saying, forget your past and look up. And he's calling us upward. Throughout our whole lives, he's calling us upward. He's calling us away from our past. He's calling us away from our sin. He's calling us away from our failures. And he's he's pulling us up. He's raising us up until finally one day we grasp his hands, experiencing full deliverance and all that he has for us as children of God. But you know what? You have to forget. As a pastor, I have known people through the years. We're not talking about anybody here. Well, we might be, I don't know, but I'm not, you're not on my mind. I've known people who were sick. They'd been sick for years and they loved every minute of it. They didn't want healing. They didn't want to get better. If they got better, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. They enjoyed it. They gloried in it. Some people are that way with their problems. They don't want to put their past behind them. It's, it's too, it's too, comfortable it's like a teddy bear they don't want to release it but i'm going to tell you what when you're reaching up and the lord is calling you and you're reaching up after him it's best to let go of what's behind because god has much better things in store for us number 10 be faithful Woo! can everybody say faithful number 10 be faithful chapter 4 verse 1 Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Be faithful. That's all I need to say. We just need to believe it and do it. But that's all I need to say. Be faithful. I've said several times in my tenure here that a refrigerator that works two or three days out of the week is not much good. Is it? If that refrigerator doesn't work every day of the week, it's not hitting on much. And that's kind of the way it is with us. We need to be faithful. We need to be counted on. We need to be dependable. We need to be faithful. We need to stand fast. Number 11. Boy, this is a good one. It would have been easy to skip this one, but I'm not going to do it. Be peacemakers. I can't think of anything any more embarrassing than having my name recorded in the Bible 
and having the distinction of it being there because I couldn't get along with somebody else. Wouldn't that be terrible? Chapter 4, verse 2 says, I implore, these are two women now, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. We've got two women here who couldn't get along. I don't know what the problem was. I don't need to know. But their disagreement, their inability to get along had created such a problem in the church. That Paul writes to them, not in veiled language, but calls their names. And 2,000 years ago, we still know their names. And he says to them, I implore you. Both of you to be of the same mind in the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, I, that's not a badge I'd want to wear. Would you want that associated with your name? Certainly not in the Bible. So I'm saying to us that we need to be peacemakers and not, y'all help me out. Troublemakers, thank you. The opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. Be peacemakers. And Paul said, I, I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you. This is embarrassing, he says. I implore you, be of the same mind in the Lord. Be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Number 12, don't worry. Woo. That one's a little easier to say than it is to live out, isn't it? Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And in those verses of Scripture, there is one thing prescribed for us, that if we will do, we won't worry. What is that thing? Pray. Exactly right. We used to sing a song, why worry when you can pray, trust Jesus, he'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas, rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray. I didn't make that up, by the way. Y'all look at me like you never heard that one before. That's a good song. We used to sing that all the time when I was a kid. But you know what? The prescription, the biblical prescription for worry is prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Say it with me. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And if you'll do that, the Bible says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Worry has never solved our problems. But praying can bring a solution to any of our problems. 
How many will be honest enough to raise your hand and say, worry has never fixed anything for me? Now, acting on something, to be, to be thoughtful about a matter, and then to take action is one thing, but to sit around and worry about it is not, is not profitable at all. Pray about it, and the Lord will give the answer. And then you'll have peace. Number 13, be disciplined in your thought life. Could somebody say amen? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, that's to say it's good news, if there is any virtue... And if there's anything praiseworthy, if there's just a tinge of some positivity, meditate on those things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. If you are miserable in your life, I will suggest it's because you've been thinking about the wrong things. Amen? The Bible, the Bible teaches us in several places. First Peter is one of those places, which we'll get to later. It's a very difficult time they were living in. A time of persecution, a, a time of discouragement, a time of, of, um, when Christians were being abused and it was a very, very difficult time for Christians. But in the midst of all that, Peter talked about the trial of our faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. And he talked about how that it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Lord's blessings upon our lives. Now, that tells me he was thinking right. He wasn't dwelling, well, just like he was when he was in prison. He wasn't singing the, singing the gloom and despair song. He was looking around at what God was doing when he was being faithful where he was. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, bloom where you're planted? Yeah. Wherever you are, just give God the glory and be faithful for it where you are, and, and God will do something wonderful with it. It's a wonderful thing. Be disciplined in your thought life. Don't sabotage. Listen to this. Don't sabotage your own spiritual and mental and emotional well-being by feeding on the wrong things. We can listen. We can listen to. We can listen to the news. We can listen to a neighbor. We can. Maybe even listen to a fellow Christian. That'd be sad if that was depressing all the time. But don't sabotage your spiritual, mental, and emotional health by allowing yourselves to dwell on negativity all the time. And it will sabotage your health. It will wreck your life. And all these things I've mentioned, all these difficulties we can have in life, it can, it can sabotage your spiritual life. If you're not thinking right, but if you're, as the scripture said, magnifying the Lord, if you're putting your focus on him, if you're praying, if you're reading his word, 
Faith arises in your heart, and no matter how bad it looks, it can look promising if you're reading and believing and trusting the God who never fails. Number 14, trust in God. Chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If anybody believes that, would you say amen? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't see how you can believe that verse and be depressed. Because if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I know he's going to raise me up. I know he's going to meet my need. I know he's going to take care of it. He's, he's up there and he's calling me to come to him. He wants to bring me out of my mess. He wants to bring me out of my difficulties and my problems. He'll give me strength to bear it if that's where he wants me to be. There'll be some good that will come out of it if that's his intent. But if God is in control, which he is, we just need to trust him because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Incidentally, folks, that's not just a cliche. That's not just a, a little collection of words there that we can parrot sometimes. It's reality. It's truth if we'll believe it and trust it and, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, number 15. Giving blesses God. Think about that. Giving blesses, blesses God. In verse 18, Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Now notice this, that they have received a collection, an offering, got some things together, and they have sent them to minister to Paul. Now Paul is writing back to them and say, he says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. But now listen to the other side. Listen to what is said here. This offering that was sent to Paul, Paul says, the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. In other words, God was pleased and blessed by what they did for Paul. Do you see that? When we, when we, we sing a song a lot of times in our, um, worship time have over the years for offerings, Give and it will come back to you. How many of you believe, you, you remember that song? Give and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. We sing that sometimes. Give and it will come back to you. Give to the Lord, it says. But let me ask you, how are you going to give to the Lord? You ever seen the Lord? I mean, God's in heaven. Jesus is at the Father's right hand. How are you going to give to the Lord? You give to the Lord by giving to people or giving to the church. And in this case, they had given to Paul that, that Paul's needs would be met. But then Paul declares that what you have done is well-pleasing, a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. So as we give, we give to the Lord. Even though we don't see him, you can't put a check for a million dollars in God's hands. You're going to have to put it in the church's hands or, or somebody's hands to hand it because how are you going to hand it to him? Is that true? But we need to understand that we help people 
We help the church. We give to missions. We do all these things. And then God is blessed. And that's a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. Fifteen things that we've talked about today. All of them could be put under this larger heading that we are supposed to shine as lights in the world. Anybody believe that? Would you stand with me? I want you to sing this song with me. You never sung one this strange at the end of a service, but we're going to sing it right now. All right? Here we go. Let's sing it like we mean it. We'll get it in just a bit. It's this little light of mine in case you wonder. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. One more time. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. Isn't that a great prayer? Sing this with me. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask to be like Him, all journey from earth to glory all I ask to be like him 15 things I wonder if if it would be true that everybody in this building could identify with at least one of those 15 that you could do a better job at. Just just pick out in your mind one or two of them right now before we sing this again. Of those 15, what would probably be the most important for me?